welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. This is our first time talking about relaunching after military service. Veterans are increasingly part of return to work programs as a pathway for transitioning into civilian roles. And these programs give them similar support as is given to more traditional relaunchers. Today, we're speaking with Christopher De Jesus. Chris is from Alaska, and he spent nine years as a survival, evasion, resistance, and escape, or SEER specialist, an elite corps of the Air Force, including working with the presidential airlift. He deployed in 2012 to Afghanistan and finished his military service in early 2016. He will tell us what happened when he was looking to transition into the civilian workforce. Chris, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Hi, Carol. Thanks for having me. Well, we're very honored to have you and thank you for your service to our country. Thank you. Um, Chris, let's start by talking about how far in advance you knew that you were going to leave the military and start looking for a civilian job. Was, was this something that you had planned for way in advance or was it something that happened more last minute? So I knew for sure the last year I was in that I was going to separate, but I wasn't 100% sure before that. Um, I did know that uh, military life would come to an end, so I always try to posture myself and set myself up to be in a good position when that time came, whether it was going to be 20 years now or when my enlistment actually ended. So I started actually really focusing on uh, pushing and advancing myself about three or four years from my actual separation. And what was involved in that preparation? Were you thinking about transferable skills or roles that you had in the military and what that would be equivalent to in the civilian world? Or how did you look at it? So yes, ma'am. So the good thing about the military is they usually take uh, every job and they have a a great program to try to figure out what you fall into, the categories that you fall into. Um, so I did look into that and I wasn't really pleased with the categories I did fall into. So I knew I had to kind of adjust what skill sets and what uh, education I was bringing outside of the military. So that's where I really focused my my energy and effort was education, getting my good my, my degree uh, degrees, and then building a good reputation and then starting a big networking. So that's where I really, really focus all my energy and effort towards with doing that. No matter if I stayed in for 20 years or, or you know, less, I knew I needed some type of education to, to get myself into a good position and then build that reputation and networking so that when I do go out in the civilian, civilian world, I was better prepared for the very highly competitive market that was the D.C. area. So, Chris, can you give us an example and talk about, um, like, the role that you had when you were in the military and what that was translating to that you did not like, and then what you were specifically thinking about doing instead. Uh, yes, ma'am. So as a SEER specialist, uh, we did a lot of personal recovery and, and hostage taking, um, and mainly we were, we were instructors on that side. So a lot of the, the, the jobs that they were focusing on was really just like more government jobs or focus on the contractor jobs in that particular area. I always knew I wanted to go outside of that area. I wanted to expand myself and my, my abilities. And I always wanted to, my, my long-term dream was to work for NASA. So I had to figure out how I can translate my my current job. And uh, at the time, I was also a program manager 
for a sear shop for the entire DC area. So I had to take that information, that that, that skill set and, and experience, and then use my education and try to translate it into a way where I could was more competitive and had a better posture, like I was talking about earlier, to set myself up to eventually go try to get a job for NASA, although it was nothing guaranteed. <laughs> and so what kind of educational opportunities did you pursue with, with these goals in mind? So I did everything I could. Um, so the military gives you a, a small stipend of money per year to work on your education. So I use that up every time. I took any uh, programs that provide certificates. You know, there's a lot of, especially for military members who are active duty, there's a lot of uh, programs that provide you certain certificates uh, for free, free of charge, education. So I signed up for everything. I signed up for uh, programs that were preparing uh, military members for uh, transitioning outside well before that, that one year mark I was talking about. So I wanted to gather as much information, doing pretty much a uh, data gathering of all the areas and, and the education that was available. And I just tried to take as much as I could. Not saying that's the, the, the right approach, but that worked for me to just have a good idea of what I needed to do to better posh myself. But it was really focusing on getting a degree, my associates getting my degree, and then moving up to my master's as well. I see. And what did you get your master's degree in? Uh, currently working on my master's. I, I have my bachelor's in space studies, and I'm working on my master's in aeronautics uh, with a concentration in space studies. Got it. And so let's move a little further down this process. So you've been... Uh, Work, you're taking these certificate programs, you're working on your master's degree, you have your longer term goal about getting the working in NASA in some capacity, um, and you're trying to figure out what those maybe intermediate steps are getting to NASA or maybe going right to NASA. So what what exactly were you doing when you were trying to expand your network, as you referenced, um, and just getting into the job search process itself? So the expanded networks was was kind of hard initially, but um, being a SEER specialist in my, my current role at that time, I had a lot of opportunities to talk with a lot of people in, in very high positions within agencies or the DOD itself. So I used that as a great uh, stepping stone into networking and building that network, as well as being as an instructor, you're always in front of students um, and different people from different backgrounds. So I used those opportunities to try to build those networks, going in front of people and talking, you know, hearing their introductions, things of that sort. And trying to see how can I benefit them as well as how can they benefit me in the long run. And just building those relationships. I think that's a, a very important part that a lot, of, a lot of military members or transition veterans just don't really grasp very well. So you have to build those relationships and those relationships take, take time. So can you give us an example of what you would do when you reach out to someone? Did you send them an email? Did you call them? And what did you say or what did you put in the subject line? How did you initiate it? So my most effective way of reaching out to somebody was was face to face. Um, I thought the email, you know, uh, websites, things of that sort are fine. Like LinkedIn is fine. You can still reach out to people and, and get some very effective communication with them. But me personally, I, I wanted to talk to someone face to face. I, I wanted to leave an imprint on them uh, when I left, you know, a good imprint. Um, so I would those, those programs I was discussing earlier or, you know, being in front of students or just going to these different um, conventions, for instance, I would go up to people as, as much as it's nerve wracking to do that and just talk to people and just have a simple conversation like we're having now and just try to figure out, you know, what do they do? Uh, if there's something I want to go do down the road, do they have any advice? Um, you know, just again, building that, that relationship, asking questions, you know, being clear and concise with them. And I think the big part was just being real, being, mm -hmm. being a real person and talking like, you know, not looking for advantage or anything like that. People can identify that very quickly. And it will kind of shut down if you see that they're, they're trying to take advantage of somebody. So I just think being a real person and going to talk to somebody 
and having that conversation does a, a huge benefit to you and, and that individual as well. So I just want to point out for our listeners, this is a really important point that when you're having these conversations, A, not to put pressure on yourself in the way that this conversation is going to lead me to a job and not to project or come across as being opportunistic, but more, you're just a real person having conversation, being curious about the other person, what they do. They're asking you what you're interested in. And so you have this authenticity and also your information gathering in a way. And, and it just sounds, Chris, when you take that stance, um, networking maybe becomes a little easier and, and less awkward. And also at the end of the day, it's more productive because people don't feel that like uh, uncomfortable feeling that you're only having the conversation because you're trying to get a job for, out of them. I fully agree. And like, actually, some of the advice I give to my, my mentees, like um, one of the ladies I work with the ACP program. Um, I told her, go to a convention, don't have a resume, don't go in there looking for a job and just go up to random people and start talking, build a relationship with them, get comfortable just talking to random strangers and, and see if you can offer them something as well. Don't just take, you know, see if you can provide something as well as a piece of information, a story. It could be, it could be very simple stuff, but you're imprinting yourself on that individual. You're leaving that, that person with a memory. Like, oh, I do remember that, that person or I remember that name, you know, whatever it may be, just have a simple conversation. Mm-hmm. Very good advice. Um, okay. So that was one piece of what you were doing. Um, were you looking at um, particular uh, like agencies of the government at this point and also in the private sector? Were you actually looking at job listings and applying or were you still putting a resume together? I know, I know the military, um, what, what, one of the challenges for veterans is translating um, all the acronyms and language um, from military language into lay person's language or civilian language. So were you working on that or what, what were you doing at the same time as this networking? Yes, ma'am. So I was doing all of that at the same time. It was, it was exhausting. <laughs> so I, was, I was running through these programs to try to you know, learn how to translate what I did in the military to civilian terms. Uh, as well as, you know, building my resume, building that network, working on my education at the same time, making sure I do my job well while still in the military and focusing on these things as well. Um, and then I started, like when I got closer to about roughly a year out, it's when I actually started applying to different jobs. And I really wanted to focus on getting to the science or, uh, you know, engineering side, which would eventually uh, lead me to NASA. Um, so I applied to NASA. I played a, applied to private companies as well. At one point I had over um, 300, I had an Excel worksheet and I had 300 jobs I had applied to. Um, within I don't know, a few months of that, I got a couple of phone calls back and then I actually had one sit down interview. So that's a 0.003% success rate there. So not, not so good. Um, so I started kind of, you know, having some somewhat anxiety that I wasn't really approaching the situation right. Um, and so I, again, started like leaning more on my, my networking, my reputation. Um, that's where I actually was you know, talking to one of my uh, former bosses who, who was in the military, saw what I was capable of, capable of and saw what work I did and then eventually trans, transitioned to the, the civilian side. And he was telling me about a job with the State Department that would be a good uh, transition job for me from going to military to civilian world. And uh, that, that networking is what allowed me to get that job, even though it was a very sought after job. And there are people that are, I would say, probably more qualified uh, to fill that position. But the fact that he knew who I was, uh, vouched for me, and, and got me my resume on the table was what really got me that, that position, which eventually led to me getting my, my NASA job. And I could tell more about that later. But it was just really building that networking, falling, falling back onto that networking side. 
Okay, and here's another critical point for our for our audience that you know we talk about how you can uh, put hundreds of you know research companies online and apply for hundreds of jobs online with very little results coming from that. And and you're illustrating that uh, with you know the one interview out of the over 300 jobs that you had applied for. Um, that's very typical for, for relaunchers who are not veterans, but it also is, is typical for people who are career transitioners and even people who don't take career breaks who are not career transitioning. This idea that you can get a job by simply applying online is pretty rare these days. And the key is what you're doing. When you had these conversations and you actually had a personal recommendation from someone who knew your work and um, recommended you to someone who was hiring, and that's what made all the difference. Um, so that's that's a really important lesson um, for, for our audience. And um, I, 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 I'm just curious, um, so, so you had that conversation, that person recommended you, you went through the, um, the interview process and then you got hired. Is that basically what happened? Essentially. Yes, ma'am. So after the 300 plus jobs, I explained it and I got through the interview process and they said, yes, we want you on board, which is about, it was about three months or two months before my final separation date. So it was kind of a big relief, um, which it it was a great job. It was a great transition, which pushed me a lot, put me in front of a lot of different agencies, ambassadors, you know, uh, civil servants, and eventually put me in front of uh, two NASA group leads, which I didn't realize NASA was going through our training, but it was a pleasant surprise. And that's where that networking came from. Um, as I approached that, those two NASA group leads, this is about two years into my state department stay and just had a simple conversation and started telling what my, my desires and wants were. And I really wanted to work for, for NASA. And one of the group ladies, she's an amazing woman, who said, okay, send me your resume. I sent her my resume. I told her what I did in the military. I explained it you know, in depth and how it can translate into what NASA currently does. And she, the, only, the, the big reason I was able to get past you know, the computer programs and all that stuff is that she took my resume and put it directly onto the hiring manager's desk. And within two weeks, I got a phone call from the hiring manager. And then a week and a half later, I got offered a job to work for Mission Control at NASA in Houston. And that's how I was able to get my, my dream job. So wow. the same thing, building that network, you know, having that good education. And then, uh, you know, parts of that would be reputation as well. So I hope everyone's listening carefully because uh, first of all, you made a passing comment um, er earlier in the process about, you know, we have all these resumes out there, nothing's happening. You're getting one, you get one call. Just um, the anxiety that produces, the um, the re feeling of rejection, um, and and it's pretty hard to to sort of experience that on an extended basis. Yet then and that's someone like you who was in this elite core of the Air Force and and had this very unique um, experience and and you had to endure this as well. Uh, but the, the key here in both cases, the first job and then the NASA job, was a person who was respected within the hiring organization and who knew you uh, was or. Actually, maybe that woman who you spoke to in NASA didn't even know you that well, but they took your out your resume and put it on the desk of the person who was hiring. So that automatically gets you to the top of the pile. And the, it's very hard to get to the top of the pile unless something like that happens. Yes, ma'am. I, I agree fully. And, and this is, you know, I, I didn't just have one conversation. I had, uh, she had a week long uh, stay here uh, at, at that time where she was training. 
So I would try to, you know, meet up with her during uh, their lunch break and all that, just ask her questions and, you know, try to, you know, poke and prod around what she, what information she could provide me. And I wasn't really even looking for a job. I just thought she can help me guide myself in, in what, you know, maybe master's degree program I wanted or what maybe might be the next steps of how I can get to uh, NASA. And she, you know, she took all my information and, and uh, she, she learned more about what I did in the military and how I can translate that to NASA. And, and she thought it was a perfect fit. Um, she was part of a hiring uh, program as well, but a different group. Uh, she said it was a perfect fit. And that's how she was able to, to take my my information with confidence and put it on the hiring manager. Because her, again, her reputation is is uh, could be affected as well if that doesn't turn out well. So it took just some time to kind of build those conversations. Yes, exactly. Um, Chris, can you talk a, a little more broadly about the biggest barriers that veterans face when they're looking to transition to civilian roles um, when their military service is over? I mean, it sounds like are you are you the exception and and you're trying in in the in the approach that you take or that you took um or are are more and more veterans starting to follow this the the same um recommendations that 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 you used I wouldn't say I'm an exception to the rule but I, I think my story is unique and maybe not a path that everyone will necessarily follow I think some of the major roadblocks that veterans or military members transitioning out of the military are going to have to deal with is the emotional toll of actually leaving the military. I think that was a, a big decision that I had to make was that, you know, I came in at 19 years old. I came in at 18, turned 19 in basic training and thought I was going to do 20 years in the military. Well, life changes and life throws curveballs at you. So I had to rethink and kind of, you know, recalibrate myself in that thinking how I can, you know, deal with that, that decision of actually leaving the military, leaving this, this big comfort, you know, this, this blanket of comfort that you're, you're so used to, you know, it's a steady paycheck. You have people who, who have the same desires and, and aspirations as you who want to do good things, you know, who you travel all over the world. So you have all these, these benefits, but now you're starting to look at, okay, maybe there's something more to it. Um, so that was one major roadblock. The second one was actually my, my personal take, and this might not be for everybody, but um, I had a, my other roadblock was dealing with other veterans. And if that doesn't make sense, I can explain more. Um, but being enlisted, uh, I, I was part of these programs where, you know, they'll assign a veteran as a hiring, like kind of a hiring uh, consultation, you know, sit there with you and, you know, kind of help you find a job, like a job hunter type stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And so some of the job hunters I was dealing with were officers and, and, and other people who had higher ups, you know, before uh, I got out. And uh, they kind of boxed me into what they thought I should do and what they thought I should earn. Um, so they asked me what my goals and aspirations were. And I told them, I explained just as I explained here, what I wanted to make, what I wanted to do. And they told me my goals and aspirations were too high. That for my rank, when I left the military, that they should, you should be earning this and doing about this. Well, I refuted that and I actually hung up on a guy, probably not the, the best solution, but, um, you know, I, I just didn't. I didn't agree with that that idea that just because I was a lower ranking, I was pushing to this small little box of what I should be doing or what I should be earning. Um, so I, that's where I started to reach out into other organizations and other folks, which really surprised me that I was having the most um, roadblocks, I guess you could say, uh, most problems with other veterans and, and how they thought I should approach uh, my my separation from the military. Wow. So that that took a fair amount of independent thought and confidence and resilience to be able to pursue that path that you would set for yourself in the midst of 
having people tell you um, that you should be doing that you should set your goals lower. Um, so that's that says a lot about you. Um, I I guess I I have a related question here uh, because you you were we're talking about um, the emotional toll um, uh, that's involved in the transition as you're moving out of the military. Um, you know, one of the programs that we work closely with is at United Technologies. It's called the Reempower Program, and in they've run four cohorts of um, participants through their program um, in the last year and a half. And in this fourth cohort, for the first time, we had a veteran in the group, and and I I know that and expect there will be more veterans and military spouses in that program um, as time goes on because they're making that part of the focus on um, who is the perfect candidate for, for, for their reempower program. But I remember one of the comments that the veteran made in our intern orientation was that he's so used to being in an environment where you could tell just what by what people were wearing, by their uniform, what their seniority was. And when he was in this corporate environment, you know, everyone dresses the same and he doesn't know, um, doesn't have that visual cue of whether he's talking to someone very senior or not. And he almost um, felt like, you know, his behavior had to be different in the military, depending on whether he was talking with someone senior. And that also was much more of a blurry. It was much vaguer um, in the corporate world. So I wanted to know if you could comment on that. Um, and point out any other key differences that veterans have to experience being in the civilian world that civilians who are working with them may not even think of or be aware of? Uh, yes, ma'am. So I think he has a, a, a fair point. Um, the way I approached it was uh, I usually approach every individual as the same. You know, I, I have a respect level for you, whether you're at the lowest of the totem pole or at the highest, you know, so I, although it's harder to distinguish who who's the top and who's the bottom, um, for you know seniority wise, I, I think that my approach when just just talk people with respect and, and having a, a you know clear concise conversation with somebody prevents any confusion there. You know you you'll start to kind of fill out you know figure out who who's actually senior seniority who has the seniority there uh, who's in charge, and that's okay because you're still talking the same way you talked to them before. You 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 build that mm -hmm. respect already initially, you build that foundation with them. So there's no need to change how you speak to anybody just because of seniority. I think if you just have the same respect level for anybody, that that's going to be a lot easier to transition um, in that type of sense. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I thought were, were different was, you know, there are some things that a lot of, you know, military members aren't dealing with, you know, something as basic as, you know, healthcare, for instance, you know, filling out time cards, you know, things of that sort that you, we're just not used to dealing with, uh, that you just kind of have to learn as you do things. Um, and that might be a slight shock to people um, transition out of the military, but I think over time, you just kind of have an open mind. You, you're out there to learn things of that sort. It's the basic ins and outs of how to be a civilian, if that makes sense. I think it's an easier transition. And can you talk about the formal veteran transition programs uh, or any return to work programs that, um, that you're aware of that you know, maybe include veterans among other groups? Do, what are your thoughts on that? Um, do you think that it's helpful to be part of a cohort of people who are making this transition together um, it, and, and have some sort of support through pro professional development programming, mentoring, a buddy system, 
um, some sort of orientation and going through the uh, the experience with another group of people. I, I'd be interested in your thoughts on that, especially having gone back to work yourself as without that. And I should tell you that I took an 11 year career break. Uh, very, very different. I wasn't in mil in the military. I was on a career break for childcare reasons. And then when I came back, though, I was hired on, on a one-off basis. There was no one else like me in the company. It, it was years ago before anyone was doing this. And so I did not go through a program with other people like me. Um, but now we're, we're very much involved in helping companies create these programs. And we've seen some of the benefits of cohorts for um, relaunchers, people who I guess are more traditional uh, relaunchers as we define them. Um, and I'm just interested in, in what you think about that group experience versus the individual one. Yes, ma'am. So I think the group experience is a, a huge plus. Like um, while in the military, about a year, uh, don't quote me on the exact date, but about a year before you get out, you're required to go through a transition program. Um, I do think veterans need or military members need to start earlier than that and start thinking about things just in case. But it does provide a year out of you kind of setting yourself up, start thinking about jobs, resumes, things of that sort. And you're going to be doing it with a group of people. Um, when I when I got out, um, I worked with about three or four programs where it was it was strictly uh, for veterans and for military members, which was great. You know, you, you start to start talking to people, again, building those relationships, uh, networking, seeing what was your problems what were the issues that you dealt with. And everyone's story is absolutely completely different. Uh, so if you can hear a multitude of stories and understand what you know roadblocks they dealt with, uh, maybe that could help you prevent dealing with those roadblocks as well, or maybe adjust the way you're approaching situations. Um, so again, just those programs are, are invaluable. And I think veterans and military members or anybody, if they have that opportunity to use those programs, I think they should really try it and, and think and, and try to get as much information from other folks and, and what their experience was like um, so that you can better have a better experience yourself. I think those are invaluable. And you mentioned a couple of times during our conversation today that, you know, you advise people to do this or that. So in what capacity uh, are do you doing that informally or are you doing that in, in any more formal way? Uh, I do it uh, formally and informally. Um, really, anybody, like those, some of the programs I deal with, um, you just kind of put your profile out there and you, you tell your story and people can reach out to you and ask you certain questions or you know ask for advice. So it's more kind of the informal side. And then ACP, it's more formal where we sit and we build out goals and, and what that individual wants to do. And we spend a year long with that individual and try to reach those goals. Um, so I think either way, you can still provide tons of good information to people, formal or informal. Uh, the formal programs are more, you know, uh, more constructed in a way where it's more formal and, and, and uh, you have certain goals you have to meet within a certain periods of time. The informal, you just kind of give advice to sound like, you know, like a buddy at a, you know, at a bar drinking a beer or some of that sort, you know, those are very, very useful as well. What does ACP stand for? Uh, American Corporate Partners. Ah, okay. Um, can you explain what that is? Uh, yes, ma'am. So normally, uh, it's really designed for, you know, corporate uh, mentors, you know, someone who's in like a business or things of that sort, um, actually connecting with a veteran or a military spouse. And, you know, you, get on the, you can go on the website and, and get more information on this, but they'll connect with that corporate individual and they'll have a year long with that individual. And they try to get to them where their goals are. Um, so for me, I'm working with a, a current veteran spouse, a military spouse, who whose goals is to work within the space industry in some some capacity. And so her and I, you know, we set up a a set of goals for her. She she outlines what she wants to do, what her education, and we try to figure out how what's the best way to approach that. Working with the 
the program managers with that that program ACP uh, and, and putting all the effort and attention to that that, that uh, mentee and, and how we can best approach that. Um, sometimes we have to adjust, you know, life and you know how they throw curveballs at you, but it's a really really good program. Uh, I highly suggest people look into it and see what they can either provide mentorship or be a mentee themselves. Chris, I realized there was one question I didn't ask before that I, I want to um, get your thoughts on. Can you talk about the role that you had uh, right out of the military and then the, the current NASA role that you have now and maybe give a couple of examples of whatever you're doing that um, is drawing on skills that you had um, when you were a SEER specialist? Yes, ma'am. So uh, the State Department job, um, I was a personal recovery instructor. Um, we dealt with uh, a lot of people who were going overseas into areas that may not be uh, the safest of areas. And so we gave them a basic uh, lesson uh, about personal recovery, how can they better prepare themselves and how they can um, set themselves up to not be an easy target in, in a short, quick sense. And so what I did in the military very easily translated into the State Department, although some, some differences in how they approach things, but I was able to take that that military experience and what I learned while I was deployed was, you know, stateside and translate that into applying how the State Department does and how the State Department approaches uh, personal recovery and, and hostage and, and kidnapping. And so that was a great transition and it was, a, it was a, an easy transition for me. So it wasn't very, you know, uh, I guess, hard to transition to that position. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I was at the State Department talking to the NASA group lead, uh, while I was deployed, you know, the mission control here at Houston, they have a ton of consoles and people who have different specialties. Well, we had the same thing when we were deployed, where we had a bunch of consoles, like our own mission control, had a bunch of consoles with specific uh, specialties. And I explained that I was an instructor. I explained that I can, you know, you know speak and, and learn technical stuff when I need to. I showed her my degree. Uh, I showed her what I was being taught and what my master's program was. And I was able to translate what I did in a civilian sector, I'm sorry, in a military uh, job into what I do now for NASA, which is I'm training to be a, a mission control flight controller. Um, so I'll be sitting at a console and providing for my specialty, um, you know, advice and, and troubleshooting things of that sort. So I was able to explain that, hey, I did something similar, just a different, you know, venue and a, a different job, but I can mm -hmm. still translate that experience into what you guys are doing. I just need to know, you know, learn the technical side, which was fine because they had that program, those, those training programs designed for us to learn us, the, that technical stuff. You can have you know, the most advanced degree, you still have to learn how to deal with, the, like, for instance, the International Space Station. Uh, so that was an easy way for me to kind of justify how I, I would fall easily into that role. Interesting. Thank you. Um, so, Chris, we, we need to wrap up now. And I wanted to uh, ask you the question that the last question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? I would say my, my most important advice I give to people is be genuine and define your own success. You know, define what you think is successful to you. To me, success is working for mission control. Um, some may think salary success. Some may think uh, certain position success. Whatever your definition of success is, you define it and don't let anyone else define it for you. Uh, if you let someone else define it for you, well, you're going to have a lot more roadblocks, I think, and a lot more headaches on, on your side. So if you can define your own success, then I think working on like your education, that reputation, and that networking will help you achieve what you think your definition of success is. So be genuine, define your own success, 
education, reputation, and networking. Excellent, excellent advice. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Kara. I really appreciate it. And thanks for listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.